It is a beautiful day to be together to worship and especially coming back from a week of camp. Pastor Gary and I had a wonderful week as well as Sarah and uh, uh, Samson Blessing and I'm forgetting somebody, Joseph and who? uh, Yeah, we had, (laughs) uh, you know, I'm still catching up on sleep. Zoard, yes, Zoard, I knew from English, our English ministries. Uh, this morning, we are continuing, though, our journey through the book of Acts, and we're making some good progress, and we've seen so much in the past weeks and months of how the Holy Spirit has worked, and worked specifically in the early church, how the Holy Spirit used a group of Jesus followers, basically uneducated, without power, without money, to ultimately grow into the church that has and continues to shape the world. And so each week, we've been kind of asking the question, how? How did it happen? Because we want to be like that. We want to be a church that God uses to change the world. And so we've discovered a lot in the book of Acts. We've, we've learned how uh, they turned to prayer and gained strength. And so we've become a, a church that prays. We've seen that they endured persecution and, and died with courage. And, and we want to be a church that is courageously faithful following Jesus. We see that they were a church that cared for each other. And they cared for the community. And so the church grew and grew. And and they did so many things right that if we're not careful, we might actually think that they were a perfect church. Now, we shouldn't think that, though, because I'm so thankful that the Bible gives us a, a, a real picture. In fact, the Bible gives us some of the grimy details, some of the, the, the realistic picture that, that as good as the early church was, it, it was not actually a perfect church. Uh, in fact, it, it kind of reminds me, uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 reminds me of uh, what you might experience if you were to come visit my home. So if you come to my home, uh, you know, you know we're going to do our best to clean up the house. We, we are. But, but if you come into our kitchen, that's where you can see reality. Uh, this is how the good family really exists together. If you come into the kitchen, you're going to see on the refrigerator, uh, and, and we have a bulletin board that has uh, stuff on it. And uh, I've got, we've got all kinds of stuff. Really, if you want to know how someone lives, go look at their refrigerator because it'll tell you. The, it'll tell you the truth. So if you go into to our kitchen and you go to the refrigerator, you're going to see some artwork from, you know, various people in our housework, household. And, you know, I think the artwork is beautiful, but you know what? There, is, there has been no museum offered to buy that from me. Uh, you know, it's, it's not doing well on the market, but I think it's valuable because it it represents the art in our family. You're going to see on our refrigerator, on our bulletin board, coupons. Now, this is where you're really going to know how we operate, because I think there's even the pizza coupon on there right now. Some of them may be expired, uh, but they're still there. And and it's an attempt 
of our family to be frugal, to save money. It's not good. They're not going to make us rich. But, you know, we, every once in a while we try to use coupons. Uh, you're going to see on our refrigerator, on our bulletin board, a chore list. And, and there are going to be some names at the top of the list. I'm not saying anything about these names. <laughs> and they're going to be boxes where they can be checked. And, and you're going to look at some of the days, and you're going to say, oh, there's a lot of checks on this day. And you're going to look at some other days, and you're going to say, oh, what happened here? There are not a lot of checks on this day Check, you know, to check it off, to check it off. Uh, and if you go over to the table, well, you, if you put your hand up, there might be a sticky spot. If, if you look at the chair, there, there might be some stains, and, and maybe, the, you know, what you're going to see is, uh, you know, we try to be a good family, but we are, are not always that good. Uh, even though our name says so, we are a real family who doesn't always get it right. It's, sometimes it's quite a mess, actually, but yet I think it's a beautiful mess. And, and I, I don't expect it to be perfect, really, because families aren't perfect. Families are real. There's a reality to it. And when we look at the church, you know what? The church is also real. Sometimes we might even say that the church is a beautiful mess. So let's look. at That's all the introduction for Acts chapter 15. So let me invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to read Acts chapter 15 all the way down through uh, verse, uh, verse 20. We'll read through 21 to start with. Acts chapter 15. Uh, if you have your Bible, please follow along. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. 
When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. Therefore, it is in my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And we'll pause there in the midst of this story, because here is a picture, a real picture of a real church. And in this picture, there is both good and bad news. Now you've, you've heard this question, do you prefer, if there's good and bad news, do you prefer to hear the good news first or the bad news first? Do you prefer, the, who here prefers to hear the good news first? Really? Who, who hears the, wants to hear the bad news first? Wow, I'm surprised about that. Get the bad news out of the way. Well, this morning I'm going to tell you the good news. The good news in this story is the church was growing. The church was growing. It was reaching into the Gentile worlds. We've been seeing that in the past few weeks. And in the church coming to adjust to the reality that the good news of Jesus is not just for them, but it is for the world and for people all over. And so the church is growing. The bad news is that the people who are coming into the church are different from the people who are already in the church. You see, there were cultural differences in play um, there were differences between the Jewish church and the growing number of Gentile congregations. And some of the Jewish believers had expectations. The expectations rooted in the principle that had operated in the Old Testament, which was that a person who was not born a Jew, in order to become a worshiper of God, would first convert to Judaism. Uh, that they would adopt the, the uh, Jewish culture and claim identification with the people of the covenant was the only way to really know the God of the covenant. And so some of these believers traveled to Gentile churches teaching that they needed cultural conversion in order to be saved. To be really, really a Christian, they said, you first had to become Jewish and then surrender your culture and your identity. Now, the symbolic way of doing this was through uh, a very important act called circumcision. Now, I'm not going to go into the scientific <laughs> description of circumcision. I will tell you later if you want me to clarify about <laughs> circumcision. D Dr. Gall, you can, you can help us. It's <laughs> <laughs> good advice. Good advice. But circumcision goes all the way back to Abraham where God had instructed Abraham to circumcise every male child in the household, including the servants. And it signified their res the responsibility to be holy people, people set apart. It became really a badge of spiritual and national identity. And needless to say, not all the Gentiles really liked this idea, or they felt maybe they felt a little differently about this medical procedure. And so a small conflict developed in the life of the church. So you see where all this is going. 
there were those who said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. But Paul and Barnabas, I imagine a few others, had a difference of opinion. They didn't want to make it uh, one step harder to, to be a, a follower of Jesus. They didn't want to have that kind of barrier. And so Paul and Barnabas take the dispute to Jerusalem, and they report what God has done through them. And the book of Acts tells us, I love this phrase, after much discussion. Isn't that such a polite way to, to describe? And we don't really know what happened there, but if you've been in churches long enough, you know that little phrase, after much discussion, you know, where emotions are there and there are different opinions. And, you know, sometimes churches, meetings can get pretty passionate, and I'm not talking about worship either. And so, and so what we see is, is funny, but what we see, it doesn't take very long before we, we make it from Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 all the way up to here we are in Acts chapter 15. And, and this perfect little church we read about in, in chapters 2 and 3 and, and 4 now seems to be a little more like the church we all know and I hope love. But it's, it's important to see that here, that, that this is a picture of reality because the conflict here is not between the good guys and the bad guys. You see, they were all good people. They were all followers of Jesus. They were all, and they were all, I'm sure, sure that they were right. Uh, have you ever been in a situation like that? I know you have. <laughs> the two Christians uh, can have very different ideas and approaches. There's an old saying we, we laugh about, if you have two Baptists, you have at least three different opinions. Now, how does that work? And we have to be honest about that, that sometimes we think the sign of a good Christian community is that everyone agrees on everything. But it's not true. It is not true. Authentic fellowship isn't about agreeing on everything. It's about working through differences in order to faithfully follow Jesus. It's about depending on the Holy Spirit to break through, to bring clarity and unity. It's about building relationships of trust. About, it's about listening and talking, and most importantly, listening. Listening. And so in the midst of the conflict here in Acts chapter 15, I'm sure that it was the Holy Spirit that moved and, and brought the entire congregation, the entire people to this powerful moment when Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd. He says, brothers, you know that some time ago, and, and you know, remember Peter's story of the, of the sheet that came down from heaven, the movement that Peter experienced and the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he says, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. The speech must have been so compelling because the people, they listened. They really listened and learned that God was calling uh, them to support what the church in Antioch and what Paul and Barnabas were doing for the sake of the gospel. And that's the amazing thing. That's the amazing thing about conflict. If we listen to the Holy Spirit, if we listen to each other, we will see God at work in amazing ways. When we listen to the Spirit of God, when we listen to each other with open ears, open hearts, we get to know each other, God brings clarity and unity. 
You know, it's so important in a multi multicultural communities. This is essential in the life of the early church, and it is essential in our life together today. It's no secret here. Uh, I love it. I love it so much that IBCD is a church. It's a tapestry of cultures. I mean, just look around today. I mean, from where in the world has God brought us to be together in this moment for this reason? That's amazing. It is quite remarkable and actually, unfortunately, very rare in this world in which we live. The churches made are made up of people from different ethnicities, different languages, and different cultures. It's very rare. Sometimes people will ask, how do you do it? How do you build a multicultural congregation? And my answer is always the same, because I tell them, I have no idea. There is no script for it. I mean, people will write books about it, but really, there's no script. There is no one way to do it other than listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to each other. Because multicultural life can be challenging. I mean, you know that. Uh, most of us are, are, uh, have experience with international life. It, it means that there's more than one right answer sometimes. It means that we have to work extra hard and listening and getting to know each other. And it means that we really have to stay focused on the mission of Jesus. Because that is what holds us together. It's what one pastor calls coming to the table. I, I love this. It's a beautiful analogy of, of the beauty and complexity of multicultural life together. I want you to imagine that you are in a, uh, uh, a family household with multiple generations. You got grandma, you got a couple parents, and you got kids. And, and in your household, you have some pretty important things, some, a few rules that, you, that everybody is expected to, to follow. And one of those rules is that when it's dinner time, when it's supper time, Everybody comes and everybody eats together. So imagine you, you come to your house one day and, and your wife or your husband, they've, they've prepared dinner and supper and it's on the table. It's a delicious vegetable soup. And uh, you're, you're ready to gather together with the family and, and you try to get everybody and you hear a little voice upstairs from your teenage son. He says, I'm not coming to dinner today with a little bit of an attitude. And you, uh, so you, you go up there, you go to where he is, and, and you say, son, why, why would you not come to dinner today? You know that that's what we do as a family. We come together. And, the, and the, the teenage boy says, yeah, but we're having vegetable soup, and I don't like vegetable soup, so I'm not coming. How, how would you respond if, if, if that were the situation? Let me ask you a question. If you were a parent, how would you respond to that? I suspect you would probably respond the way that I would respond. And you, you would say, it doesn't matter whether you like vegetable soup or not. Go. <laughs> you are coming to supper. You're coming to dinner. Because whether you like it or not, we eat dinner as a family. Because, and in doing so, you would teach him a most profound lesson. You would teach him it's not about the food. It's about the family. You would teach him. It's not about what we get out of it. It's about what we put into it. You might say, look, son, I, I realize that what we're eating tonight, vegetable soup, is, is not your favorite, but it's your grandma's favorite. And, and we need to be together. We need to be uh, as a family. And when you're not there, if you were not there, we would miss you. You, you are an important part of the family. So, so you come to dinner. 
and share in the togetherness of the family. And, and besides, tomorrow night we're having pizza. And Grandma doesn't really like pizza, but she has learned in her years of maturity that it's not what you get out of it. It is what you put into it that really matters. I love that picture because it's a good picture of what it means to be the church. When we listen to the Holy Spirit, when we listen to each other, God, Christ will bring unity and clarity. And it's a good thing because growing through our differences is a wonderful experience of Christ's work within us. In fact, when we read further in this book of Acts, we come to a part and we see where Paul and Barnabas, who were together on this particular discussion, uh, in another discussion, they have differences of opinion. And so not only once in the book of Acts, but twice uh, in the book of Acts, we see a very real picture of the church. Let me go down to Acts chapter 15, verse 36 and 40. We're going to skip a little bit to the end of that chapter. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of God and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose, Paul chose Silas and left, uh, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. There you go. Sounds like they maybe were Baptists. <laughs> Not only was there one difference of opinion in this chapter, but there are two. And actually, it's really nice to see this conflict uh, because it reveals so much to us. I, I think um, the reason I say that is because it is it, sometimes we think that if everybody were just spiritually mature, we would all get along. It would, we would all, everything would, we would never clash with one another. But it's not true. Spiritual maturity doesn't erase personality differences. Even the most spiritually mature people can see things from different perspectives. Paul and Barnabas, they had just come from the Jerusalem council where they were together with some pretty big issues. And they, were not, they were not new believers both men had walked with God for years, and, and both were committed, fully committed to doing the will of God no matter the cost. They'd risked their lives for the sake of Christ, for the mission. And yet, they clashed over some very practical matters. Paul was a, was a pretty rugged individual, kind of a pioneer in mission. He was the kind of guy who would storm into the enemy castle and, and share the good news of Jesus. He, he, he wanted people with him who were committed warriors and, and ready to go and not flinch in the face of adversity. Now Barnabas, on the other hand, saw potential in Mark. And Barnabas was an encourager and someone who, who could see how the grace of God could change somebody and work in somebody. And Barnabas wanted to take uh, Mark with them. And actually, what's funny, because later on, Paul says, in, as he writes to the Colossian church, he says, welcome, Mark, because Mark is useful in ministry. So, so Barnabas was actually right. And so was Paul. They both were actually right. But they were both wrong. You see, they were both stubborn. 
They dug their heels and refused to give in and to listen to each other. And I'm sure that they both thought they were standing on principle. They both thought that, you know, they were right, that they had to really fight that through. But we read, instead of, of graciously figuring it out, they came into sharp disagreement. It may have actually been God's will to, to divide and to, to do different kinds of, of ministry and locations, but it, it didn't need to happen like that. And so there's a, there's a practical observation to note here, and that is a person's greatest strength is sometimes their greatest area for weakness. Now think about that. Paul, who, who is dependent on, on his ability and his passion to boldly proclaim the, the news of Jesus and not let physical persecution or verbal persecution, let it slow him down, it, it also tends to make him intolerant of others who don't feel the same way. And Barnabas, who was a very gracious, very encouraging follower of Jesus, who, who could bring out the best in anybody, yeah, maybe sometimes it kept him from speaking the truth or the, or the hard words some people needed to hear. So both men had, had very, very unique strengths, but in their strengths, they had potential areas of failure. You see, it's, it's personality. God creates us differently. He, he, it's a gift to the community. It's a gift to the experience of Christ in and at work among us. But we have to understand it's, it's a difference in culture, a difference in personality that we, we can grow through or we can even better come to enjoy. I so enjoyed our, our Kenyan music this morning. Uh, and I'm, I'm ready to, to, you know, let's do more Kenyan music. Uh, when we see our cultural differences in the light of Christ, it's, it is a beautiful picture of the community. In fact, when a, when a church comes together for the purpose of mission, from different cultures, with different languages, from different backgrounds. It is one of the most powerful testimonies of the resurrection of Jesus. Because let me tell you, friends, the world doesn't do unity. Only the church has the potential to be unified in Jesus. Unity and, and sameness, being the same, it's not the same. That didn't sound right. <laughs> You know, everybody thinking the same way is not unity. Unity is working together for one purpose from different perspectives, different cultures, different languages. And when it happens, it is a beautiful testimony to the power of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. That's the beauty of what happens here in Acts chapter 15. Now, if you are an ecclesiastical idealist, in other words, if you're looking for the perfect church, you're going to be disappointed because you're not going to find it. Maybe you're thinking, this is it. I finally found it. I hate to disappoint you because you don't know me very well yet. <laughs> you know, you don't, we're not a perfect church. You won't find a perfect church. If you do find a perfect, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> but the, the real church is a messy church. It's a, it's, it's a church of people growing together through differences. And when it happens, we see the beauty of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And in this way, we can help be a light to the world, to show a world that is at odds with each other all the time, nations against nations. We can show them 
that in Christ there is a way, there is hope, life abundantly and eternally. Being a part of this church family, not just this church family, but the church that comes together is a great joy. It's no coincidence that Paul himself, who later writes this to the church in Philippians, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe, maybe you've struggled with Christian community, with Christians who don't get along, with differences of opinion. Why are there so many different churches? You know, it's, it's a good question. Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe even it's, it's more of a personal thing where you've had a conflict with someone about something uh, and you, you want to run, you want to throw it all away. Maybe you, you, you're a bit of a, a, a looking for that perfect church. And uh, well, let me encourage you to, to trust the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me encourage you to listen to each other, listen to the Holy Spirit sharing and opening your eyes because that's where you find the joy. I believe the most powerful prayer any person can ever pray is the prayer that says, Lord, open my heart, open my mind to your work, to your way. And in that prayer, in relationships with each other, even in our own desire to follow Jesus, when you pray that open and honest prayer, Lord, work in my heart, work in my life. When you pray that, he will do so. The Holy Spirit will work in you in incredible ways. It's a pretty brave prayer to pray, actually, if you're willing to pray it. Lord, use me. Work in my heart. Help me to listen. Help me to see you at work. And when you pray that prayer, and after and in the working of the Lord in your life, you will know an incredible joy, and you will see a beauty of Christ at work around you. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are the one bringing us together. Lord, it's not about, our, it's not about us. Uh, it is about you. Thank you for giving us a purpose uh, to share the good news to this world around us, giving us abilities and talents and cultures and ethnicities that are different from each other so we can celebrate the beauty of the kingdom of God, Lord. Thank you for calling us, inviting us to be a part of your work, of your church. We thank you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.